Welcome to Let's Chat Dental with Anne Budenberg. In this series, we're going to be talking about dental careers and squiggly careers in the UK. But of course, don't forget to like, rate and review this episode. So I'm joined today by Rahel Kumar, who qualified in 2019 from King's in London. So after completing dental foundation training in 2020, he went on to take up a DCT post in Leeds. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a bit of a walk through what's happened since that point. Um, so welcome, Rahil. And I know you've just got in from a, a long day. Um, so maybe you want to just kind of dip into that slightly, because I know things weren't totally routine today. And then we can just go forward from there. Yeah, today was a fun day, I guess you could say. Um, we had quite a complicated case. So patient, unfortunately, had suffered a number of facial fractures from an exploding tire. So unfortunately, we had to sit into theatre and kind of sort their face out. <laughs> so yeah, a bit different from the world of dentistry today. Yeah, a bit different from your normal, usual sort of um, wisdom teeth extractions and surgical extractions, I guess. But yeah. presume anything can come in. Um, but shall we just go forward from when you left foundation training in 2020 and sort of the path that you took from there? I mean, you're very aware that I did my foundation training in Chester. Um, so six months into that, it was the pandemic. <laughs> um, so that changed quite a lot. So I think moving, moving from foundation, being in foundation at that point of view, there were a lot of questions of kind of what was I going to do um, after foundation? I think for me, I knew that because training had been kind of hindered in the sense that we didn't have enough clinical exposure to maybe what we wanted to do. Um, I wanted to do DCT. So um, I applied for DCT dental training um, and I got a job at Penderfields Hospital in Wakefield. Um, and then that kind of started off my little journey that I'm currently on at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it was a very difficult time, that sort of 2019, 20, and the next cohort. There's about three years really impacted possibly by COVID of sort of undergrads and then foundation dentists. What sort of impact do you think it had on you? So I think for me, I was literally probably getting to the swing of things uh, with, at the, that six-month point. Um, so, you know, I was managing to, you know, a molar endo start to finish you know in just over an hour I was happy doing my crown preps and they start to finish in 45 minutes and then suddenly you know I was going oh this is great I'm really enjoying this and then it stopped so I got to the point where I was like yeah I'm happy and then after those three months where we didn't do anything I kind of came back to it and I was a bit like oh I don't feel I can do any more of this anymore um so I think that really impacted that. I think it also impacted the way I thought about dentistry as well um you know in the news we saw we weren't even told that you know dentists were going to stop working so I think it kind of opened my eyes to kind of how the wider healthcare and like public health kind of viewed dentistry it wasn't a, exactly a priority and I think that made me think oh I'd probably want to move towards a hospital-based thing um, just because it seemed you know things were a bit more happening I guess it wasn't training didn't seem to be as much impacted in secondary care as it was in primary care and I do know Secondary care has, has had its own fair share of impact from COVID. Yeah, as you say, it hit at sort of a tri tricky time. You were sort of six months in, basically. So as you say, you were just kind of getting over that steep learning curve. And, and then it was all stop, guys, for 
um, end of March to kind of about the beginning of June it was. Um, so yeah, quite an important, crucial time, which obviously you'll catch up on, but at the time it seems quite significant. Um, so you mentioned about the sort of wider healthcare. I suppose it's, did that sort of make you see where dentistry sat within wider healthcare and how it was valued or? I think you're always told in dental school that, you know, dentistry makes up around 3% of the entire NHS budget. So you know that it's quite a small um, small part of healthcare. But I think, you know, all these ideas and plans were put into place, you know, pharmacy, for medicine, dentistry kind of was just left to the side and then eventually they decided, oh, actually, you can't open. So I think for that, it kind of made me think, actually, we're not quite as important as we think we are. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's that was like the dawning for me on that. Yeah, and, and it was a very difficult time because when you look back retrospectively, you know it took a long time there was a lot of people really suffering in in pain and not being dealt with it took a long quite a while for any emergency care to start opening up I mean we're definitely still seeing the after effects of that even now mm-hmm. you know people yeah. still haven't been able to go to get into the dentist um since you know pre-pandemic and we have a lot of people especially in West Yorkshire you know they were in the registers, but because they haven't been in since the practice have reopened, you know, they're no longer on the registers. But equally, you know, practices don't have the capacity to take people on. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think you'll probably see it in secondary care, very long waiting lists. So the yeah, the impact is still going to be felt for, for quite a while longer, actually. So um, plus all the sort of recruitment issues people are having at the moment. Right. So moving on from that to your career and you know, how did you decide on that DCT1 post and, you know, what were the advantages of going to Wakefield over somewhere else? Okay, so I knew for DCT that I wanted to do something that was going to challenge me and also something that I think was going to make me decide, do I want to be in hospital? Do I not want to be in a hospital? You know, would primary care be what I wanted? Would it not? Because um, towards the end of FD, I just thought I'd got on top of things with primary care dentistry. I wanted a challenge. So I spoke to people, you know, about what jobs should I do, what should I not do, who had done DCT beforehand. And a lot of them said, you know, if you do a job at nights, weekends, it'll really tell you. It'll really, I think, test you and make you think, what do I want in life? Do I want that, you know, nice nine to five job? Do I, you know, am I happy working shift work? Um, so that really kind of, narrowed a lot of jobs down for me um and I always contemplated you know maybe applying for specialty training and, and I know everyone says to you you should do a max fax year um if you want to be, do specialty training it'll just teach you so many skills it'll also teach you what an emergency actually is so I thought even if I didn't pursue you know a surgical field the lessons I'd learned from a max fax job you know I'd be able to take that with me to primary care and I can definitely say at the moment I'm not really afraid of anything that dentistry can throw at me anymore <laughs> Um, so I think those were kind of the two main things um, and then obviously with natural recruitment you kind of get what's given to you in many respects um, I knew that I wanted to live uh, near a city obviously having graduated in K- at King's so I lived in London for a while in Chester we had Liverpool and Manchester nearby so I wanted to be working in a city somewhere um, but it was easy to commute to so Wakefield seemed pretty a good choice I mean I looked at Bradford I looked at Leeds 
um, in York. And I quite liked Yorkshire because I did my, I did a degree in biomedical sciences as well at Sheffield. So I knew I quite liked Yorkshire. It's nice to be in a different part of the country and um, probably return to a part that you know as well. Indeed. Um, okay, so let's just backtrack slightly because I know you've, you haven't just done dentistry you did something else before that yeah so we're kind of getting we've we've gone forward to dct and now because you've mentioned that um first degree so and i'm always amazed how many people have done more than one degree um so just tell me how how you started um, oh so that's a, that's a long story and um, so i've always wanted to be a dentist um i think that's kind of always been the dream my uncle um was a dentist and he was also he's also GP so he's dual qualified um so I kind of always knew I wanted to do something in healthcare I found it really interesting um did some work experience uh, with a pharmacist didn't like it did work experience with a GP didn't like it did work experience with a dentist really enjoyed it and I just really enjoyed like the whole atmosphere and how the work that you that they do um so when I finished so when I was doing my A-levels applied for dentistry got into dentistry actually at Bart's uh, but unfortunately, I didn't quite make my A-levels. So I took a gap year, <laughs> as most people do at that age, and then reapplied for, reapplied the following year. And I didn't get into dentistry, but I got into biomedical sciences at Sheffield. Um, so I thought, you know what, let's try this out. Maybe, you know, dentistry is not for me. Like, the university might be giving me a sign. So did that for three years. Um, you know what, it's probably the toughest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> but it was really useful in the sense that the course at Sheffield was very like medicine heavy. So you did, you know, dissection, you did a lot of medicine minus the clinical side of it. So it kind of gave me a grounding whether or not, do I want to do medicine? Do I still want to do dentistry? So at the end of the degree, um, I, as every graduate does, I applied for jobs across the UK, ended up getting interviews and offers at quite a number of consultancy firms, but my heart wasn't in it. Um, so I decided that I was going to take another gap year <laughs> and reapply. So in, in my second gap year, I worked as an anatomy demonstrator, uh, teaching dissection, physiology and pharmacology uh, to biomedical science students, dental students and medical students at Sheffield Uni. And then I ended up getting into dentistry at King's. Um, so that's kind of how I got into dentistry. <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about gap years, they weren't your traditional gap years backpacking around Australia and Thailand um I mean gap year number two I went to Thailand okay <laughs> gap year number one um I went to Sainsbury's um for a while and then I went to Taiwan mm -hmm. so that was gap year number one and you know what I really enjoyed it so it wasn't your typical oh let's um <laughs> you know go globe trotting so I did a bit of the travel but it was mainly just to work and kind of decide what I really wanted to do if you know if dentistry is what I want to, and it still was at that point. Um, but then we're getting by them and I thought, you know, maybe I should change it. But the second one definitely was everything I was doing was gearing me towards that kind of medical dental field. Okay. So we've done, we've done dentistry now. We've gone to King's. Yep. After. Survived four years. years of <laughs> two gap <laughs> years and one degree. So we're now um, gone to King's and we've, you've done dentistry. Yep. Um, and obviously then you went into foundation training, done DCT, DCT1. So um, 
next post was DCT2. Yeah, so that's currently what I'm doing now. I'm a DCT2 at Leeds General Infirmary. So I'm working as part of the MaxFat unit at the Major Trauma Centre for the region. Um, so any major trauma that head or neck comes to Leeds. Um, and it's quite nice, actually, because when I was doing my DCT1 year, anything that was too complicated for us would come to Leeds. So now I'm kind of on the receiving end of the things that I would send over <laughs> um, and I tell you it's very eye-opening it's exciting each day is very different um, and although we're affiliated with the Leeds Dental Institute so we do do dental alveola within the actual dental school itself you know we're very much maxillofacial surgeons you know we're not thought of as dentists we're employed to be surgeons so that's a really really nice change compared to what you kind of get in a DGH where you're kind of expected to be the oral surgeons doing the side stuff. Yeah. Okay. So as you say, different every day, challenging. Um, I think we spoke before about how it's, it's, you know, it's very medical. Um, so in terms of um, what well, probably both posts, I know some of the posts are, well, they're all slightly different and what you get out of them. But in I'm, I'm now looking at more the sort of um, study program that you get, the support, the mentoring, um, other courses that you do. Can okay. you tell me a bit about that? So uh, it's quite difficult, really, because HEE are the ones who kind of organise your courses um, in the sense of what you are able to do. Um so last year, for example, our unit was very good at arranging, you know, a two week induction period, which kind of took up all our study allowance for the year. Um, we'd have weekly teaching um, with the oral surgeons and MaxFax consultants, or they'd get medical students to come do sessions with us. But in terms of, you know, ability to go to courses, there wasn't really any of that, but that is just because of the way they taught us. Um, last year was very DCT led. So the DCTs would run the clinics, they would run quite, they would, you know, be on a theatre list or an MOS list with an experienced member of staff, but they would always be getting the DCT to try and do as much as you could do. So I think you've got a lot of hands on training there. Um, but with regards to the study days, um, for me personally, compared to what I got in DFT, I probably wouldn't say they were of the same calibre. Um, but I know obviously there's a national curriculum which is decided by the powers that be. So study days have to fit in with that curriculum. So for me personally, I'd probably say from an institutional point of view, I might have not got the training that I ne might necessarily have wanted. Whereas in the unit itself, I got a lot of the training that I wanted. Um, and kind of again this year, I probably say it's probably again the same. Um, Leeds, we don't have as many. They didn't do an induction period. Um, but funnily enough, something I found out this year was actually all, all DCTs are entitled apparently to £600 of training, but Yorkshire don't really showcase that to us. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so missed out on something there. But um, again, study days wise, it's not really clinical this year. It's more things like resilience, um, sustainability and dentistry things are you know I think they're very useful but they're not necessarily going to improve me as a clinician so to say um whereas the unit itself they're very supportive we have weekly teaching sessions 
um, each session that we have, you know, it's something that the consultants and the registrars are always happy to teach us. Um, and they really do push us to our limits. You know, last week I did a mandible start to finish by myself with my consultant beside me. But, you know, as a DCT too, you know, you get some registrars who've never done that as an ST1, ST2, and they're dual qualified. Um, so that was quite exciting. Um, yeah, so again, I think course-wise, the LDI is quite a good place to be, actually. The LDI do run courses, um, but again, a lot of them more like dentally aimed rather than, you know, more max facts aimed. So kind of if I was considering, you know, primary care long term, a lot of the courses they do run are very good. But again, I think, the, you know, there's curriculums which the NHS have to provide. Um, and so not necessarily everything's in line with that. I think from a max facts point of view, it's a bit difficult because it's a medical specialty. So having dentists on a medical specialty is not necessarily tailored to what our understanding is sometimes. But there are there is always opportunities. You know, we're always asked, do we want to go do an ILS course, an ATLS course? I recently completed the level one CBCT um, course that was run by the LDI. Um, so there are things available. And sometimes if we are like we do get to go on the registrar study days. So they had one last week, um, which was um, doing flaps on cadavers. So there are things that are available. Yeah, as you say, I think the curriculum, uh, the main thing is that you're getting the hands on teaching and good support. I know sometimes it's so variable, isn't it? But um, sometimes in some units, some DCT1, DCT2 have felt they haven't had enough support. Um, so obviously you're, you feel you have you know, plenty of support um, and someone is allowing you to, to do, as you say, quite a bit of um, difficult work on your own. Well, not on your own, but supervised, which I think is... Um, it's quite a good reflection on somebody that they can be hands off. Yeah, I think with any job, though, it's, it's what you make of it. If you're showing that, you know, you're willing to learn, willing to do things, I think people invest more time in you. Um, and generally here, I think I've been very lucky with these two with this year and last year. Everyone, you know, is very cohesive. They want to help each other get ahead. And they know, you know, if someone wants to do something, the other two guys will be like, yeah, of course, come and do this. Come to my theatre, do this. When you say you did a mandible on your own, do you mean, um, you know, fractured mandible? Yeah, it was a fractured man mandible. Um, it was a left parasymphysis um, fracture. I mean, presume that's quite a regular occurrence in your unit. Yeah, it's, you have your ups and downs, but definitely weekends, uh, we get an influx. And bank holidays, we get an influx as well. Um, yeah, I'd probably say two or two three mandibles a week potentially we do get quite a lot what's the most common thing that you're you're seeing you know is it road traffic or um fights um i suppose the most common thing that's coming in is um facial swelling is due to dental abscesses um that's probably the most common thing that does come in um but most um most trauma that comes in is usually due to interpersonal violence. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, it'd be um, falls and road traffic accidents. Okay. Okay, so there's lots of scope to develop skills. Yeah. 
uh, in all sorts of areas there. Okay, so in terms of, I know I've spoken to other um, DCTs, some are doing things like, um, which may not be relevant in your post, of course, um, because it's a surgical post, you know, they're doing PG certs in um, teaching um, or research. And so is there any push or um, sort of funding available for you to do that kind of thing? So I think my friends in other units, they were put onto like, I think it's training, training the teacher courses mm-hmm. or teaching the trainer courses, um, but they were, you know, showcased by their deaneries. So I think from a teaching opportunities kind of thing, there's nothing that's been kind of advertised by the deanery here. Um, but I think now that having a PG cert, et cetera, has kind of been taken off from specialty training applications is was something that was on my list soon. And you know what, I probably would still do one, but it's not something that's kind of high in my priority now. I think a lot of people go do this to prove, you know, oh, I can teach people this, this and that. But I already spent a year, you know, teaching at a university level. So for me, I, I kind of had the experience over the qualification already. So it's not something that for me, I feel that I have to go and do at the moment. I think it was useful to have. Um, but I think in terms of people pushing it, there's not really anything pushing it. Okay, I know I didn't realise that had come off. The, so that was something that um, was kind of a point scoring. Um, uh, was it an expectation really for applying for DCT that you'd done that or you'd done a leadership course or something along those lines? Um, not So I think in previous years we had a portfolio, there was that focus. But now that we don't have the portfolio for DCT, there isn't anything there. It's just doing your SAT and your interview. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, as, as you say, you've got that background anyway. So um, I, I know your focus is elsewhere. And so we're DCT1, DCT2. Um, I mean, it's amazing how quickly that's gone. So you're kind of um, getting towards the end of that year. So what, what's the next step for you? Oh, <laughs> this is the big question. So um, I've applied for DC3 um, and hoping, you know, if I get that fantastic um looking potentially another max facts year although I'd be open to you know a dental job you know I just think you can't rule things out um if I didn't get that you know happy to go work in spe- um, primary care again I did enjoy practice it's been a while but you know it might be nice just to have a you know normal life for a bit no nights weekends <laughs> um otherwise you know especially dentist job would be fine or you know what I'm really open to the idea of, you know, just having another gap year at Lokme and go traveling. <laughs> These gap, gap years year are a bit addictive. Yeah. Exactly. Because um, I am intending to apply for medicine um, for the September 2023 20, intake. So, you know, if I take a gap year between degrees, you know, I've got to keep up that habit now. That's true. That's the trend. You, you've, you've set the precedent, haven't you? The trend. Um, yeah, and as you say, if if there was ever a good time to take a gap year, when, when your gap year is meaning you would do a bit, a little bit of work, perhaps. Yeah, a little bit of work, maybe register abroad, um, locum abroad, um, travel, just enjoy myself for a year. Because you know what, working 
in these jobs like primary care, secondary care, it does take its toll on you. So sometimes it's good just to take a step back and enjoy yourself a bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, if there was ever a good time to um, do it, there's such a shortage of jobs, such a shortage of um, manpower that, you know, you people are desperate for locums in the UK, but actually you're, you're thinking of going abroad. So, <laughs> so that Australia really is looking very nice right now. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah. I c- yeah, I can see why, actually. It's, it sounds quite appealing. Okay, so um, so you may, so that's kind of up um, to be decided then, DCT3, gap year, and then you mentioned um, applying for medicine. So just mm-hmm. tell me a bit about that, because this is, you know, this is quite interesting for people. So there's loads of different ways into medicine. Um, obviously, everything's either through UCAS or through directly applying to universities. Um, much in the same that there's postgrad dentistry, there's postgrad medicine. Um, but you have either five-year courses, four-year courses, or three-year courses. Um, and eligibility depends on kind of what you've done. So most three-year courses will ex- have expected you to, you know, have a number of publications under your name, have worked, done at least two years in MaxVax. Ideally, you know, have worked in jobs where you've, had a real proper exposure to what MaxVax is. Um, and again, they're probably the same as the four-year courses as well, but the funding's slightly different. Um, or you could have your five-year courses where, you know, you'd just be applying just with, you know, people going from the A-levels, 18-year-olds, et cetera, um, and you just kind of be pissed against them. Um, three-year medicine, you do have postgraduate and undergraduate, and depending on how they're coded, depends on what your funding is. So if you do like an undergraduate course, three years at, for example, Leeds, you'd have to pay your fees um, year on year. So you'd be looking at about, I think it's 9,000 for the first year, 11,000 for the second year. Um, and after that, you'd then be entitled to the NHS bursary. Um, whereas if you're doing, for example, a four-year postgraduate, a three-year postgraduate or four-year postgraduate course, um, I th- you would be entitled to um, funding from the NHS and student finance. Um, so that's how I did my dental degree. Um, so I think the first year you pay three and a half thousand pounds and then after that student finance top it up and then year on year after that um, student finance, the NHS cover it. And then you also get, you know, maintenance loans and bursaries as well. Um, so it just depends kind of which way you go through with it. Okay. So um, it doesn't take too much working out. The postgraduate option is obviously the best financial. Yeah route to go because pretty much all of that's funded from what what you said yeah um yeah I mean when I did dentistry I probably just didn't even think about it (laughs) yeah so yeah everything is sorted there um again I think you know you're doing four years so you're doing a year extra and also you know you'll be you'll be charged kind of what the new student loan interest rate or fees are as well so you know that's still added on to kind of whatever you already owe for your your student loan so it still is something there that is there to be paid for but I guess if you're paying you know up front doing the um, three-year courses that financial burden is there initially but then it's over and done with so and if you're working alongside which a lot of people do you know if they either work um, in max vaccines or they work in primary care on the side most people don't have an issue with it how much scope is there to you know help finance it by working part-time because it you know it's going to be a fairly full-on course um so the thing is you can't you already at 
at a DCT lab, you're already working as a junior doctor already. So, I mean, we work with F1s, and you know what, they're really, really good. But as a dentist, I'm having to do the same work as them in many respects. You know, I'm having to diagnose a pulmonary embolism. I'm having to, you know, t- take bloods. I know this isn't a very like basic um, thing, but there's a lot of things you have to, you have to liaise with other specialties. So you kind of know a lot of medicine before you start medicine, if that makes sense, because you have that exposure, you know, we're not dealing with, you know, fit and well people every single day. You know, we've got these very, you know, we've got these very sick people with multiple comorbidities um, who, you know, may have, you know, facial fractures, but they might have fractured, you know, femurs, pelvises, um, you know, they might have, you know, subarachnoid hemorrhage, subdural hemorrhages, um, you know, they might have rheumatology issues, uncontrolled diabetes. So on the ward, you're having to deal with all this, manage it and seek advice from specialties um, who you may not necessarily, you know, have that exposure to in dental school. And also most, most people um, work as a second on call uh, as a medical student. So they'd be the registrar on call overnight as a dentist for these patients. So there's a lot of scope for it. So I think... In many respects, I wouldn't necessarily, I think medicine's, yeah, full on, but you kind of have a lot of the knowledge already there. It's just the application and remembering the fine detail, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of scope where you're not, there's a lot of scope to work, definitely, but equally, you might not necessarily have that academic burden per se, because you already have the knowledge yeah you're not like your 18 year old starting medicine with with nothing you've yeah. got such a lot behind you plus you've taught anatomy and you've done you know the that first degree you know oh, yeah that comes back all, to bite me all the time <laughs> it's yeah so it's it's all kind of adding to the sort of base the the sort of overall knowledge um so that's going to be interesting. And in terms of um, medical schools that you can choose, or, you know, they may choose you, of course, but um, do all the medical schools do the fast track courses or are we limited on where we can go? Um, so not all of them do the fast track courses. So the main ones that do the three year course would be Birmingham, Liverpool, Leeds, Manchester, Glasgow and Barts. Um, and then you've got a couple of places that do four years. So, for example, Kings, uh, Leeds does four years as well. So does Liverpool, so does Manchester. You've got Aberdeen, UCLan, Barts, um, Oxford, Cambridge, um, Glasgow, I think, do it as well. Edinburgh. Um, and then majority of places do the five-year. Um, and pretty, well, pretty much everyone does the five-year. So it just depends what the funding is available for each university. You usually do find that places that have major trauma units tend to be the places that have the three-year course for dentists. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, in turn, obviously there's not a huge um, number of people wanting to do this, um, but equally they'll have the limited number of places. So, Yeah, so I think Bart's has the most with 10 places. Um, Leeds has three. Um, I think Birmingham only has about four um Liverpool Manchester I couldn't tell you off the top of my head or Glasgow but again yeah there's not many but I think having to do two clinical degrees puts a lot of people off um pursuing 
a career down the Max Fats route. And when do you have to start applying for that? So the deadline, um, so it varies actually. So if you're applying for universities that aren't direct application, um, so for example, Bart's direct application, if you're doing, you know, Leeds or Liverpool or Manchester, I think Birmingham as well, um, it'd just be the normal UCAS deadline, which would be uh, mid-October. Um, whereas Bart's, I think the deadline is December time. Okay, so I mean, it'll come round very quickly. <laughs> it does, yeah, <laughs> time flies. Time does fly. <laughs> Um, okay, so we we've touched a little bit on you actually mentioned maybe you know you in your gap year your next gap year you might have a normal nine to five job um, because obviously you know working nights etc is um, you know it's quite hard work. Yeah, it takes its toll. <laughs> yeah, so you know how do you balance up normal life? Work, work-life balance which everyone's always trying to to get I definitely think it's planning <laughs> planning 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 and you know what doing these jobs things pop up that you can't um predict so for example you know today I was supposed to be finishing at what was it five o'clock didn't get home until <laughs> 20 to 7 <laughs> only because because of something that happened at work you know a, a surgery got delayed just because for patient safety so you know, I think it's having a plan. Um, at Leeds, we do one month on call, one month off call. So kind of knowing when my on calls are really helps because I can plan my month where I'm not on call, you know, could book all my annual leave, can, you know, just all, you know, do things. Whereas my month on call, I know I'm basically a hermit for that. Um, whereas like last year, for example, the way I wrote to words, um, every seven weeks or so, there was a day where after we'd done weekend nights, we were only in for two days. So by booking those two days off, so for 14 days of annual leave, we ended up getting seven weeks off throughout the year. So it's like being smart and organised, really. I think kind of knowing when things are getting too much as well. Um, I think on this sort of job, I think for me the key is if I know things are getting too much, just having that conversation with my consultants being like, look, I need to like not kind of be as fast paced at the moment. And they take that because they're so oh, why don't you do this clinic instead? And that kind of helps with things. So again, it's like just seeking support when you need it. Yeah. So, and, and having the confidence and feeling comfortable that you can do that. Yeah. Um, because I guess some people wouldn't do that and start to think. Yeah. I think it's, I think maybe this is why the deanery put resilience training in for us, but um mm-hmm having the training and actually being in the situation is two very different things. And um, because I do think, you know, all dentists, you know, are high achievers and they want to do the best that they can do. Um, and, you know, whenever you're involved in someone's care, you always want to make sure that they're well taken care of sometimes to the detriment of yourself. Um, but yeah, I think having the confidence is one thing, but I think it's also having people who can recognize the signs where you're burning out. Yeah. Two way that, as you say, we've spoken about this so much since COVID, mental well-being, um, the, the fact the people you work with in your team, that they pick up on on your signs as well. Um, and, you know, realise that you are just in it, you are still quite inexperienced. Um, and, you know, hopefully that you, you are going to work in a supportive team. Um, 
So what do you do to relax when you're not at work? <laughs> when I'm not at work, um, I mean, it feels like I'm always at work. Um, love to travel. I play video games quite a lot. Um, I'm always going out and about with my friends, doing a lot of outdoor stuff. I'm always cooking, actually. That's probably my biggest thing. Uh, to the point where I have a reputation at work for being a feeder. Because <laughs> um, I've just kind of figured out, you know, if people eat, they're really happy. So I tend to make a lot of cakes, take them into work. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, helps me chill out. Um, a couple of the DCTs and myself, you know, we've all become really close. So we always you know, try and do things outside of work, de-stress. And although, you know, you're surrounded by work people, it's quite nice because you've almost, you're all born, bonded by the trauma that you all go through. So you are there to pick each other. So you can always say, oh, let's go do this. And people are willing to do that. So like next week, for example, we're going on the DCT holiday down to Cornwall, which would be really nice. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of team bonding. Um, so that'd be good. Because I know like, obviously in DFT, you know, a lot of the Southern um, schemes all go to Chicago together. <laughs> and yes. that's how they have their bonding and de-stress. <laughs> we thought we'd do the same. <sighs> good idea was this just organized between you or was it is it a kind of regular thing that happens every year uh no this is just organized between us um just because we happen to have time off at the same time <laughs> okay so I guess there'll be a little bit of dentistry spoken <laughs> yeah well we've uh, one of my friends is going with us as a non-dentist um and she is currently she said she's gonna be meeting all our work chats and dentistry is a band word so anything about a tooth apparently we owe her money for it so it's a good incentive not to talk about work okay yeah that's helpful actually otherwise she's probably going to be very 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 bored <laughs> she's used to it so if you go down the um, medical fast track route um, what sort of opportunities do you think that's going to open up for you so I think originally when I considered to do medicine, I didn't want to do medicine to be a doctor. I wanted to do medicine to make me a better dentist, if that makes sense. So I'd go into, I'd go into medicine with an open mind, but I do think one, it would kind of teach, one, it would, you know, definitely compound what I already know as a dentist, how to manage people more effectively. Um, and also it would just kind of open, you know, is it you know 60 I think 69 63 different specialties that medicine has to offer <laughs> so it opens that door to me but also you know I think that we as dentists we have such a you know such such great ca capacity to do things but we're hindered because we're not medical professionals so I think in many respects it opens those doors to me you know I really enjoy you know skin work um but I wouldn't want to be that person, you know, that does, you know, a Botox and Villas course. I'd want to have that, you know, compounded background in it, you know, to be able to deal with things like, you know, BCCs, skin cancers, et cetera. You know, you get that as a DCT, but it's having that background of it, you know, kind of opens that pathway for me. Um, and obviously also um, opens MaxVax, you know, in itself. But equally, I know a couple of people who, you know, did done dentistry and then they've become pedi pediatricians, but they use dentistry to help them with their pediatric, you know, care, mm -hmm. which I think is, you know, really, really useful. Um, my uncle, he's a GP, but as a dentist, you know, so he has that GP hat, GDP hat. So we get lots of referrals from GDPs, you know, and it, sorry, GPs, and they don't, because of medical training, they have, they're not really sure about head and neck, but equally, you know, 
I could be equally placed if I decide to do that, you know, I've got that grounding there. So it opens, you know, kind of both sides and brings them together more. I know. I can see that you're you're just going to be thinking with all there's going to be spoilt for choice actually once yeah. you get into it. Um, you might have to have another gap here when you finish to, <laughs> to, to decide which sixty three specialties you want to go down. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have choice because I, I think it's quite interesting. This you know where the route you've taken and. It sounds as though you've stopped or been stopped for various reasons and then but you've you've found the route that has suited you um, because so many people end up on a route that doesn't quite suit them and they don't quite like it but they stick with it because for whatever reason financially or they just feel they have to stick with something that they're not quite um, happy with and um, you're you're in it for a long time yeah and um... Yeah, life's an adventure. And <laughs> and actually, it was Dave Orm who told me that once because um, I spoke to him about, um, you know, what should I do? And he was very much said to me, he's like, you know, you'd be, an, you'd be a great dentist, but you'd be an amazing doctor. And he, so he was one who actually has championed me quite through a bit through it saying, you know, go for it. Um, and I think having, I wouldn't change the way things have happened because it definitely compounds I know what I want now compared to oh like you said just stick to this pathway and then I I wouldn't want to be miserable doing things I do you know I have really long days here now you know sometimes I work un- unintentionally <laughs> you may put it that way you know a 15 hour day and you know I'll wake up the next day you know rearing to come back in I don't think you know if I'd if I'd probably you know stuck to the path of how it's supposed to be you know I probably would have gone done dentistry gone to general practice and stayed in that I don't think I would have potentially enjoyed it as much as I would do I mean, I've always got general practice to go back to but I think for a time in your life doing these jobs are the you have to do it now to be able to then make those decisions no absolutely um and I think it's great to enjoy despite as you say those long days I know they're they're hard work but you're you're so involved in it and you you know you sound as though I've got a good team that it's um it's incredibly engaging I, I would imagine and fulfilling yeah it's really really fulfilling um I think the other week I remember I'd, I'd done something for a patient you know to me it was just something that we do every day um I think it was I told her that she could go home and I've never seen someone jump out of bed so quickly and just run and give me a bear hug. <laughs> and they were just saying, you know, yeah, you can go home. And that's the thing, you know, which I was just like, wow, actually, you do realize, you don't realize how much you make a difference until like things like that happen. Yes. Hospitals are not a good place to be, are they? People do not like being there. Um... Oh, I, <laughs> I tell you what, if I ever end up in a hospital, I'm going to make sure I take my own sleeping tablets. <laughs> yeah. The difficult places to sleep, aren't they? At the best of times, they're not. Yeah. They're not quiet. They're quite noisy. Um, so I guess people are overjoyed when they're told they can go home. Um, so I just thought maybe we just kind of bring it to an end because we we don't know what's going to happen next. But I think it's exciting to to kind of hear the path and and wonder what you're going to do next. So just some um, sort of some summing ups and final questions. So one particular any particular thing that you wish you'd known about dental careers as a student 
I definitely wish in dental school they'd spoken to us more about what Max Fax was. Um, I also think, I also wish they kind of, rather than just trying to funnel us down dental pathways, they should have kind of looked at what dentists are capable of rather than what they're trained to do. I definitely think that's something that I just think we all take for granted. Yeah, we can do teeth, but we can do skins, you know, we can do, we're quite involved, you know, in like mental um, well-being. You know, there's a lot of things that dentistry does for that. Uh, you know, there's forensic dentistry. There's all sorts of things, you know, sports dentistry. There's all sorts of things that actually we could do, but you don't find out about them until quite a, a bit further down. Yeah. I, no, I think you're right. It's um, it's almost like careers advice at school. You know, it's uh, all a bit hit and miss who you happen to speak to or um, you don't know the range of careers open to you. I think, are you saying that, you know, for some people, dentist, the dental degrees is really just a very much a starting point. It's not the end point. Um, yeah, I definitely... I definitely agree with that. And I think now, you know, now it's becoming more and more apparent, you know, with the issues with NHS dentistry, loads of people don't want to just be an NHS dentist. They're trying to find their niche to kind of make that their thing. Yes, no, absolutely. So, and I think it is, um, you know, whether you do dentistry and branch out into different areas of that, but I think if you can have a mix of things, it keeps things fresh and most of the sort of research on that seems to show that people who are are doing um, branching out and even just having a day or half a day out doing something else from practice, it stops them burning out, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so, um, so really just in summing up, I just want to thank you very much for telling us about your pathway so far. And so, I mean, my takeaway points are that, you know, follow kind of what you want to do, follow what you want to do, um, speak to people. Um, and, you know, if you, you've obviously, you don't have to just do one linear path. You can, um, there's hopping on and off points. You can take gap years, you know. It's all right to take gap years. And, I would recommend that to anyone. <laughs> yeah. So I think that sounds good. I think I might take one myself. <laughs> so, okay. I think we'll just draw that to a close. And um, it would maybe be nice to speak to you once you're doing medicine and, and uh, see where you've got to there. Of course. Anytime, Anne. Okay. I've always got time to talk. <laughs> okay. Great. Thank you very much for that. Let's Chat Dental with Anne Budenberg, talking about dental careers and squiggly careers in the UK. Don't forget to like, rate and review this episode.